Let's remain standing as we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do indeed ask in these moments now that you would come to each of us, that you would speak to us from your word and in the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would glorify your name in and through this place and our lives. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, and uh, it really is uh, a great joy, once again, to have this opportunity to share with you, and I would be genuinely grateful if you'd like to take a Bible uh, from the seat in front and turn with me uh, to those verses we heard read. Uh, It's Luke chapter 10, and it's on page 1041. Luke chapter 10. I've no idea for any of you what TV programs uh, you watch and enjoy, but undoubtedly uh, one of the ones that has uh, captured a lot of popular imagination and attention recently is the one entitled, Who Do You Think You Are? Uh, And of course what happens in that program is that uh, they take various celebrities uh, on this journey to discover who uh, are their ancestors. And every so often uh, it uh, reveals things that are really quite striking, even startling. So for example, the chef Ainsley Harriet, you may uh, know who I'm talking about, he is himself Afro-Caribbean. But the fascinating thing was that they discovered he's descended from a white slave owner in Jamaica. And that was really quite something for him to have to come to terms with. Or again, the distinguished actress, Dame Judi Dench, most recently, I suppose, known for James Bond, and she was in Belfast and so on. But before that, she was a very notable Shakespearean actress. And they discovered through the program that Dame Judy is in real life related to the actual historical figures Rosencrantz and Guildenstern who appear in the Shakespeare play. So there was again a fascinating connection. And most intriguing of all from uh, the program was Boris Johnson. And if you didn't follow that episode, uh, in fact they discovered that Boris uh, is descended from King George II. I say that advisedly because it was King George III who was the one who supposedly went mad. Uh, So uh, history, of course, will uh, make its own judgment in due course. But that question, who do you think you are, is also, of course, of utmost relevance to the pathway of Christian discipleship. And this morning we're going to suggest that we try to explore together the answer that would be given to it from what we read in these verses in Luke chapter 10. This remarkable moment in the gospel when Jesus sends out the 72 or some of the other manuscripts describe it as sending out the 70. So we'll come to the text in just a moment. But first of all, just a little bit of background and context Just a few verses earlier, if you flick back a page, in fact, you can see at the beginning of chapter 9, 
Luke tells us that Jesus sent out the twelve. And those two numbers, the twelve and the seventy-two, are actually quite important because whereas the twelve are the apostles and they come to uh, represent that role of permanency for the New Testament church by analogy with the 12 tribes of Israel under the Old Covenant. That's the 12. The 70, the 72, as we read in Luke 10, they represent all of the people of God. In other words, who do you and I think that we are Well, if we belong to Jesus Christ, we're successors of these 72. And our role as Christian disciples is defined by what is given here. And if we had to summarize the role that's been given to us according to these verses, I think it comes at the very beginning of chapter 10, verse 3, where Jesus says, Go. 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 And the significance of that becomes even more apparent when we try to understand where it actually is that we are in Luke's gospel. Because Luke's gospel really falls into two halves. In chapter 1 to 9... It's all about Jesus coming, his birth, his boyhood, the beginning of his ministry. But then, just towards the end of chapter 9, there's a kind of turning point in Luke's gospel. Look with me at chapter 9, verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So it's been about Jesus coming, up to this point, and now, from that verse, it's about Jesus going, going to Jerusalem, and all of what that would mean, going back to be with his father. And it's as he begins to go that he also tells his disciples, his followers, that they are to go. And more often than not, That is the emphasis and thrust of the gospel itself. Sometimes, of course, it's right for us to remember and to rejoice and to rest in the invitation of the gospel where it says, come. Jesus invites us to himself. He says, come to me. If you're weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He says, let the children come to me. But on so many other occasions, the clear focus is not come, but go. Go to the other side of the lake. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. Go into all the world. Go as here, because I'm sending you. I was delighted last Sunday to be here and and hear Ollie say that at the end of the service, she was taking a little group and they were going to go into the park at Shangala, simply to greet people, uh, to 
share a message about Happy Mother's Day, to befriend them as God's people. And so perhaps the bigger question is then, in what role does Jesus want us to go? And so I would suggest that we could consider what we learn here under three simple headings. You with me? Number one. Jesus commands us to go as his messengers. Just look at how this uh, passage which Brian read is, is bookended. Verse one. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them that they're to go, if you read on in verse 8, when they enter those towns, they're to heal the sick and to tell them that the kingdom of God has come near. So the first responsibility for all of us who profess to follow Jesus Christ is to do everything we can by word and deed to proclaim the kingly rule of Christ, the kingdom of his lordship, his rightful authority over all creation, and the fact that salvation is his gift. I heard a lovely story of a Nigerian pastor, and he'd never traveled abroad before, uh, but he'd been invited to come and speak at a big event in London. And when he got to the Heathrow Airport, of course, uh, there, were, there were customs. And he saw a, a green channel, which said nothing to declare. And he saw a red channel, it said something to declare. Well, and he went through the red channel and he looked at the customs officer and he said, I declare to you that Jesus Christ is Lord. <laughs> it's a great story, isn't it? But it reminds us in a very direct and tangible way of our duty to be ambassadors for Christ. And yes, of course, there are those whom God has gifted with the gift of evangelism to, to really bring in to the kingdom those who hear the message. But in a deeper sense, it's something that we all need to do. All of us. Later in his second volume, on the occasion of the ascension in Acts chapter 1, Luke records these words of Jesus. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I remember when I was a teenage Christian, having that explained to me in a very captivating way. We are to be witnesses for Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. In other words, amongst those we live with. But we're also to be witnesses in Judea, a wider circle. Amongst those we work with. We're to be witnesses in Samaria. So towards those we maybe don't like. And we're to be witnesses to the ends of the earth amongst those we don't even know. 
And I wonder as we think about this first point, how is it that God is speaking into our heart now? Who is he bringing to mind to whom we might act as a messenger or a witness? Is there someone in our family circle or friend circle to whom we could share a word of testimony as to what it is and the difference that God has made in our lives? Or when you go into your workplace tomorrow, will you tell your colleagues where you were today? Will you talk to them about church and faith and the message? We need to train ourselves to do so much more in the way of talking about God. Secondly, Jesus commands us to go as laborers in his harvest. So we read on in verse 2. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And we know from elsewhere in the Gospels that the field is the world. And notice how it is. It's very striking in what Jesus says here that the workers are in many ways to become the answer to their own prayers. You ask something of God, but you go and do something about it. Sometimes it happens like that, doesn't it? The Lord lays something on our heart for which we have concern, we begin to pray about it, but actually he's also wanting us to be the ones to do something about it. And the task is limitless. When I was an undergraduate at St. Andrews University, I remember listening to someone put it like this, that every life, every life with Christ is a missionary in other words, not just those who go to far-flung places. Every life with Christ is a missionary. And every life without Jesus Christ is a mission field. So again, part of our Christian responsibility, it's not only to act as Christ's messengers, but maybe also to have awareness of what it is that God is doing for his kingdom in other places. I wonder, is there a particular agency for which you have special interest or concern? There are many great opportunities in this church. Fields of Life with Trevor and Ruth. Church in Chains with David Turner, Agape. David Wilson, IFES, the student work with Stephen Gardner, and many others. And if the idea of the field puts this in a global context, the world, well then the word harvest reminds us that the job is urgent. In parables that Jesus told elsewhere, the parable of the net, the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds, the harvest represents the end of the age. But let me say this. Here's the encouragement. 
If we're willing to hear these words, if we're willing to go in these ways, if we're willing to take the step of perhaps opening our mouths, speaking of Christ, we have an assurance of his equipping. I remember hearing, again, a lovely story of a man who walked in at the back of a Christian gathering. And there was a speaker up at the front. And initially, the man was kind of listening, and he couldn't really understand what the message was all about, because it sounded strangely as if the speaker was maybe speaking a foreign language, because he just kept saying, no go, no low. No go, no low. No go, no low. And then, gradually, he began to realize that, of course, the speaker was referencing an older translation of the Great Commission from the end of Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me, therefore, go and make disciples of all Nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I will be with you always to the end of the age. But no go, no lo. If we want to know that assurance of the promise of the presence of Christ with us, the lo, I will be with you, we need to act in obedience to the command to go. Who do you think you are? We're messengers of a kingdom. We're workers in a harvest. And finally, we're commanded to go as sheep amongst wolves. Look at verse 3. Go, Jesus says, I'm sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. And then in the verses that follow, he talks about not taking a bag or a purse, about seeking to bring peace and to find those who are peaceable. He's talking about going as his people with simplicity of lifestyle and generosity of spirit. But the main point of what he's really saying is that it will be hazardous at times. There will be a cost to going because there are wolves. But let me remind you of what I said at the beginning of where we are at this point in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus has now resolutely set out to go to Jerusalem. And he knew full well what that would mean. There would be a cost for him. A number of years ago, Trevor and Ruth very kindly invited me uh, on, I think, three occasions to go uh, to Uganda and to run some training events for the clergy 
and church leaders in the Diocese of Luero. On one of those occasions, I remember hearing the story of the Anglican Archbishop from a number of years ago, a man called Janani Lewum. And the, the thing is that he, in fact, had been in England and he'd been speaking on these very verses during his trip to England and then he returned to Kampala and it was only shortly after that that at the time Idi Amin arrested him and Janani Lewum was never seen alive again. To be a faithful Christian disciple is to recognize that there will be a cost. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer pastor who courageously stood against the oppression of the Nazi regime and who tragically died just a short while before the end of the, the war. In his work, The Cost of Discipleship, who said this, when Jesus Christ calls someone, he bids them to come and die. But when you read on in Luke chapter 10, it's notable that the 72 come back rejoicing. They're encouraged as they return. And Jesus reminds them, well, don't rejoice just because things have gone well. Rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Who do you think you are this morning? You're a messenger. You're a laborer. You're to be a willing servant. As I finish, in preparation, I was, I was thinking back to a really significant moment in my own life. I came to faith in Christ at the age of 14. And I think I was 19 when towards the end of my first year in university, I went to a church service and the speaker was a man called Leslie Hogarth. And he had served for many decades as a, a missionary in South America. He was somebody who had embodied all of these virtues of discipleship. And he, he, he challenged all of us who were present to whether we were hearing a call of God into full-time Christian ministry. And God spoke to me on that occasion and he spoke to many others. And I wonder, I wonder, I pray, maybe that God would be doing something like that again. This church... I'm so aware of, of the great heritage of those who have gone from here, who've been nurtured to faith in Christ and gone to serve. They've gone. They've gone out. There's so much for which we can give thanks. But there is much more that is still to be done. Shall we pray?
Lord, we want to thank you for reminding us this morning of who we are to be as your followers. Help us, we pray, to hear this word of command that we are to go. Open our mouths, we pray, to speak of who you are and what you have done. Make us faithful as we seek to see your kingdom established. And remind us again and again of just how much of a cost you were willing to pay for us. We pray together in the name of Christ. Amen.